You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. I hope you're well. Just before we get to the interview proper, I want to ask mid- and long-time listeners a question, and I'd appreciate it if you could hit me back up on Facebook or Instagram. If you want to hear more music on the show, I famously don't play any because my whole strategy behind the podcast was just to bring you the conversation. So many indie podcasts out there put bogus noises and songs that don't seem to fit, and I figure, well, you know the artist. You can go and find them on YouTube or Facebook or what have you. I mean, God, artists these days are the masters of their own destiny in so far as they post just about all of their content pretty much for nothing these days. Jesus. Such a weird time, especially growing up in the 90s when we had to pay almost $35 Australian for a CD. But these days, you don't have to pay anything. You get all of the greatest music of all time at your fingertips for nothing. But my point is, is that because of that environment, I don't play any music on the podcast, but I'm actually open to suggestions to play music. Even put music in the introduction, in the outro. Do you want me to do some random stuff like play some of the stuff that I get sent through each week? Because God knows I get sent enough of it. And some of it is is very good, I must say. But mostly by underground bands that nobody will ever really get the opportunity to hear. But I guess my point is in the whole thing is I don't want to really detract from bringing you the conversations. Because there's a lot of noise out there in the world. And I want this to be just a little bit of an island. The podcast, that is. A little bit of an island in a very busy day when you can tune in and you can hear from some of the greatest musicians to ever grace stages of the pubs, the stages of the pubs and clubs worldwide. On that note, I am very open to suggestions. If you want me to play music in the intro, in the outro, share some new tunes, let me know on Facebook or on Instagram. On that note, who's a musician that I'm sharing with you right now? It is David White. He's the vocalist in Heathen. The reason for the chat, the catalyst for the conversation is the brand new album from Heathen released via Nuclear Blast on 18th of September it will be. It's called Empire of the Blind. So here he is, David White from Heathen. Hello? Hey David, how are you going? Yes, I'm doing okay. Sounds like you've got a dog there. Oh, yeah. I can hear, hear that. Oh, I heard him. Uh, oh, we've had dogs all of our lives, and there's an unmistakable sound of a collar <laughs> rattling around as they shake their oh. head. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I went and grabbed something to, to eat, you know, just to, to chomp on. Sure. And so he he got up from laying down next to uh, my wife, who's working, and he's like, oh, what do you got, Dad? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, we've had uh, – what sort of dog have you got there? He's a lab pointer mix. Oh, yeah. Black We've got a bull terrier. I don't know whether you're familiar with the breed, but... Um, a bull terrier? Yeah, English bull terrier. Yeah, he's uh, like uh, probably the only dog that were originally, like I'm talking 19th century here, so not recently, but bred for fighting. Um, but that's been bred out of them now. and They've got a beautiful temperament. They just look like Satan's little helper and people sort of cross the road to get away from you when you've got them. Um but uh, he's a beautiful boy, actually. But he's getting a bit on, and he's very set in his ways. So he uh, he likes to bark at us and tell us exactly what's going on and when, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, how old is he? About that ten now. Um, so the breed only goes for about twelve or thirteen years or so. So probably only got a year or two left in him before he starts getting serious health problems. I think. But uh, 
that's life, you know. God, I've got two kids, mate, you know, seven and uh, five, and we've got a bloody menagerie of animals at the moment, birds, fish, um, cats. <laughs> it's... Uh, uh, I'm not really an animal person either, to be honest with you, in that way. But, uh, mate, when you've got kids, you've got to do stuff for them, I suppose. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we're totally animal people. We have, but we just have a dog, a cat, and a cat. And then, we're, we, you know, and then where we are in Florida, we just moved here a couple months ago. And in our backyard, there's like a jungle in the back. And, you know, we get armadillos and turtles and, you know, whatever yeah, nice. decides to come in our yard. Yeah, I reckon Florida is the closest place in in the United States to where I'm from, being uh, Queensland in Australia. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's the only place that reminded me of Australia over there. San Diego reminds me of Sydney um, and bits of New South Wales. Uh, not even Los Angeles. I was a bit surprised. I thought Los Angeles would remind me a bit more of Australia, but San Diego does, and Florida does. Mm. So there you go. Well, Florida definitely has the the heat and it has the humidity. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah. So how the how the calls been going in the in the promotional trail for the album here? Um, things are going good. We just dropped a second single, "The Empire of the Blind," uh, today, yeah. and um, it's uh, all over, you know, YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and all the different types of music. Uh, services that are out there and we're getting a lot of traffic it's pretty awesome actually mm. I was super, well, look, super nervous last night and then you know because it was starting to drop at midnight and you know oh yeah yeah i get it I was, yeah yeah a lot of uh you know sort of obsessing and anxiety i guess uh all day today I had a hard time focusing on anything else Mm. I, I don't blame you, but I can tell you this, mate. After hearing what you guys have done as a collective across the album, um, and I reckon the last two Satan albums as well, I don't know whether you're familiar with the uh, the new wave of British heavy metal band that's still going, but look, if Lars uh, had any sense from Metallica, of course, he'd show what James what was possible if musicians who are steeped in the traditions of that type of music and thrash metal put their mind to it because they just can't stand Metallica these days. But you guys, and, and my, my point here is that I want to offer you guys and the rest of the band a sincere congratulations about what you've accomplished across it because it's it's similar to what Kurt and the guys in Metal Church have done recently in their last two albums. Uh, you're just on point. It's uncompromisingly melodic, yet it's also heavy, heavy metal, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and anybody with even a faint interest in the genre, well, genre should find it enjoyable. So, mate, that being said, I, I get that it's nervous times because you know you want the album to do well, but you must be thrilled with how it turned out creatively. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's what makes it more frustrating not to be able to go out and and perform and and uh, sort of spread the love and, and, and jam on that stuff, you know, as a band. You know, it's it's I mean, I love the recording process. Um, I love it. It's you know, you get in there and you work on things and adding layers and all the different things that happen creatively in the studio. But there's nothing like playing live, and um, to get out there and actually play these songs live is going to be a lot of fun. And unfortunately, we have to take a pause because uh, of uh, a virus that's hit this this world. Yeah, I know it's it's bloody awful, mate. To be frank, but what else can we do? It's uh, 
You know, you, you, you no doubt wrote this album over the period of the last 18 months or so, and uh, you had no idea, of course, that uh, as you're recording it, you're on the precipice yep. of never being able to, uh, or certainly in the immediate future, being able to tour it and get on the road and come to countries like Australia and the UK, where it would be eagerly anticipated that you would be able to play shows. But, uh, you know, I think you are doing as much as you can uh, from a marketing and a PR perspective in that you've got your YouTube videos up there. You've sure. Made the... and... you're, you're right, you go. Well... Well, I was going to say that, yeah, I mean, and, and that's the interesting thing and, and, and kind of a cool thing is that um, this whole situation has caused people to, to listen more uh, and seek out music more um, because they can't go anywhere, you know. Um, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're not necessarily totally stuck at home, but they can't go to concerts and so, you know, it's there's so much content out there now and people are, are streaming and listening to music and, buy, you know what I mean, getting buying records online. And um, so, you know, for that, it's it's pretty cool. It's just it's just unfortunate, like with a lot of the, the streaming services, um, it's good to get your music out there, but it doesn't pay very well. <laughs> no, no, no. You really have to sell it. You got to sell a lot of lot of records and CDs to you know, and and then for us we have to sell, you know, T-shirts and all that kind of stuff to to actually you know, uh, make a dent. Yeah, it was interesting to read some of the YouTube comments, uh, the comments on the YouTube uh, videos that you've put up there. There were people that were talking to each other about wanting patches and T-shirts and all of that sort of stuff. So you're doing good business in merch at the moment, are you? Yeah, we are. Um, after you know, we we had a steady flow, and then once the the blight came out a month ago, um, a lot of people were pre-ordering, and then they were asking for, like I said, pa uh, patches, and um, yeah. we had we had the idea to do a poster, and we had two different uh, ideas, and I really wanted to do the the album cover uh, as a poster because I think it's such a cool piece of art, and then we had another, uh, it's like a wanted wanted poster kind of thing which is appears in the uh in the empire of the blind video um and that turned out really cool too so we have the option of both both posters and um you know anything we can do we're trying to you know come up with different ideas of things that we think people might you know dig as far as uh you know merch goes yeah for sure yeah Hey, what about uh, yourself and Lee? Uh, you know, you've both been around the block many times. You've been doing this for almost 40 years or over 40 years potentially at this point. You know, you've been in other bands and he's done some stuff with uh, Die Crops in Germany and Exodus and the like. So you both have a fairly rich creative and performing vein in which to draw from. So I take it it's the pair of you that write the album together. Is that right? Um, well, I mean, the first record, uh, Breaking the Silence, it was a group effort. Um, everybody contributed to that record, um, but the but most of the writing was was the, the guitar players and and I you know I wrote the lyrics and um, and they wrote the music and we put the you know as a as a group we arranged the the music uh, with victims it was predominantly Lee and I that wrote the record and Doug um, had a few songs that he wrote and I wrote uh, lyrics for those songs um, with the uh, evolution of chaos was a, a more of a group effort um but this record um Cragen wrote the entire record he wrote this record all oh, right okay yep 
Yeah, and it it was just and it was I think it was uh, out of just you know he had a vision for the record and and also just you know with Lee and Craig and out on the road with Exodus so much in the last six years or so um, we weren't all together as a group to be you know to work on stuff so even though I have stuff still you know in the can for ne- the next record um, we just didn't weren't able to work together on this project until it was time to record it. Mm. So we had to give it like each one of us had to give it our own flavor in the studio. Um, and that was our contribution was, you know, uh, what we brought to the table at that point. Um, but it's always different. I mean, we, you know, Mm. you just kind of got to roll with, with how things go dynamically. That you do, yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt. And look, I've listened to it a fair bit over the last 48 hours or so, really, since I've had it, just in preparation for our conversation here. And and uh, and take this as a compliment again. Uh, I can't separate the tracks; they're all extremely strong. But do you have any faves on there? Um, well, I think my favorite on the record is is Shrine of Apathy. Mm-hmm. That one is, you know, it's it's probably more the more of a ballady song for this for this record um but it just has a a lot of different it has a you know a vibe to it that is just unmistakable for me and and um you know i guess selfishly um i like you know the different vocal uh areas that i i sort of dwell in in this in that song um and then you know lots of layering um when it gets bigger and as as it builds it builds and builds um, and I like that type of, of a song because it, it really takes you on a journey. And, and that's what's cool about the whole record is that um, there's d- it definitely takes you, takes you somewhere, you know, and takes you on a journey and brings you right back. It's, sure. it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Hey, you, you recently recruited Jason and Jim to the band. Um, they've only been in the band for about a year or two. And look, got on almost 600 interviews. I've never asked this question, and I thought, why not ask you this one here? But, you know, for an established band such as yourself, what do you look for when you, you're recruiting uh, someone to join the band? Because you really do need performers and, and creative types that are performing at a high level. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we're looking for people that... Um, understand what we do um and that have the ability to do it <laughs> um but also people that mm. we um can get along with um because yeah, you know when you're touring one. you're you're on the road you have to you have to live with those people and basically being in a band is almost like a marriage but you're you know you're however many people are in the band that's that's the the relationship and so um, we've had different members in the band that, you know, we didn't have that cohesiveness and, um, and it, you know, it makes it, it's not fun, you know, at times, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's okay. It just, uh, for the long haul, you want to des- definitely find people that are, you know, quality human beings and people that you want to be around. And, um, yeah. with Jason, you know, I've known Jason for a long time. I met him years and years ago. He lived in the Bay Area, and then he was living in L.A., and he played in a couple groups with, with Craig, and they are really good friends. Um, so it was kind of a no-brainer to bring him in. He's, he's an awesome bass player, and yep. he's super cool, you know. Um, and then Jim, uh, he's he's worked with uh, Exodus as a tech, and okay. then we did a tour, we did a tour 
with Generation Kill, which was Rob Duke's band, um, and Jim was the drummer. And so, you know, and we shared a bus, so, you know, we knew that we could get along with him easily. Uh, we all became good friends with him as well. So um, when it came down to the drummer, that was the tough one, I think, because um, Darren Minter, that's, those are some big shoes to fill. Darren was an amazing drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a couple different, you know, people that we were interested in. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that Jim was the one that was the hungriest. And, um, and plus, you know, he was somebody that we knew and we knew that we'd be able to, uh, you know, get along with and, and, you know, have a lot of fun with at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a heck of a thing, isn't it? So, as I said, I've had so many conversations with, with musicians at this point and, uh, you know, sometimes they, uh, we, we go down to a bit of a rabbit hole depending on how much time I've got to chat. But, you know, sometimes they tell me, stop the recording and I'll tell you actually what's going on here with this muse or what have you. It's just the amount of assholes that are out there that you try to bring into the band when you've got a vision and they just don't share that vision. And, uh, you know, they do things like, uh, you know, just, just the squabbling, I think, is the thing that in bands. And look, I'm a musician myself. And, oh, yeah. uh, I, I can, I've been in plenty of bands, I've got to say, but there's always one asshole in the band, isn't there? Who just doesn't seem to want to help, you know, set up the PA or pack down the PA or just as rude to somebody else in the band. And you just think this is meant to be fun. So can we, this please be fun? <laughs> exactly. Well, I always made it, I mean, any other side projects that I've ever done, um, it's always with, you know, friends, people that I want to, you know, that, if we're getting together, it's, you know, we're getting together, we're having, we're having some beers and, you know, there's a lot of bullshit in between because, you know, it's, it's just good to get together and make music, you know, um, we moved to, we moved to Florida a few months ago and of course all my friends in, in, you know, in the Bay area are there and it's, it's been tough because even when we were there, um, with the shelter in place, you know, you can't really get together and, um, you know, that that part really sucks because it's it's yeah. just part of the fabric it's part of the fabric that I that I live in, you know. Um, mm. So I'm trying I'm trying to keep myself busy playing guitar and drums uh, here, but it's you know it's a little it's a little lonely not to be able to jam with somebody else, you know. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, yeah. And and talking about jamming with other people, look, you you've played with some extraordinary musicians over the years. You've you've held your own in that court, so. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were in Blind Illusion for a period of time, weren't you? Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, my a band that, you know, just coming out of high school. Um, I did that for like five or six years, uh, you know, and once again, like Mark Biederman, like he, I grew up with him, and, you know, he lived two doors down from me in my neighborhood, went to my, my grammar school. And um, and then it, when we first started the band, it was not, it wasn't Blind Illusion yet. We were like, we were like 12, 13 years old. And another friend of ours, Alvin, Alvin Petty, had a guitar, and I was playing drums. And then Mark came over and was like, "Hey, man, I want to be in the band too." And we we're like, "You don't, you don't even play an instrument, you know." <laughs> and he's like, "Well, I'll, I'll get a bass. I'll do it, you know." And he's a super bright guy, and uh, he used to live next to a, a record shop. And the guys that ran the record shop, uh, it was Lenny and Hugh. Those guys were musicians. One of them was a guitar player and one was a bass player. And they were both really, you know, really good musicians. And they actually hooked him up. And they also would like throw records at him, go, oh, you need to check out this kid, you know. And 
and basically influenced him and sort of steered him in the right direction musically uh, and actually took a guitar uh, and fixed it up and put bass strings on it for him and gave him some lessons to get him started. Mm, okay. uh, but uh, yeah. Anyway, I could talk yeah. about that for a long time. So we have, I have a lot of memories from that those years. Yeah. Well, I bet. I mean, look, the thing is, even over in, here in Australia, as, as a kid in the 90s, we heard about this legendary band that had Les Claypool and Larry Lalonde and yourself. And there's so many other people. that It's kind of like a band that people went into when they came out of and joined other really big bands, if you know what I'm saying. So were you in the band when Les Claypool was in it? Well, I was, but um, uh, when I first joined the group, uh, or just before I joined the group, um, because I had when we first started the band, I played drums, and then we had a fa- falling out as friends, and um, but that was very young, you know, just stupid stuff. And um, years later, I became the singer, and Les was in the band just prior, but then left the band, was not happy with his playing, and really wanted to just like go back and woodshed, you know, yeah, and sure. yeah. Get, and so he did, and Chris Olson joined the band uh, on bass, and he I had met him uh, from playing in another group, a local group, and um, he was a guitar player, but he picked up the bass, and, uh, and we jammed with Chris for about a year, and then Les came back. And then we did a demo um, with, uh, was it, uh, I think it was on Deskbed and Kamikaze, Mm-hmm. And we got some airplay on the local uh, college radio station, K- KUSF. And um, and then we got uh, a second guitar player because we wanted to be able to do the harmony guitars and all that kind of stuff. And we brought in a guitar player. Uh, his name is Brian Kehoe. Now, Brian Kehoe's still a mainstay in the Bay Area, and he's played on some records with Les now that Les has been, you know, been, got pretty famous with the whole Primus thing. Sure, but he's yeah. he's on a lot of records and he's toured with Les, and um, I've done a couple shows with him recently. Um, he's done uh, different different projects, and the guy is phenomenal. If you ever look up Keo Nation, uh, just incredible guitar player, great singer, um, crazy funny guy. Uh, but those years of Blind Delusion, that that band was just unbelievable. Um, yeah, but then. Yeah. Yeah, we had, but then there was a falling out and f- frustration because the club scene, there was no club scene for us. There was no, you know what I mean? And we were yeah. sort of bumping each other in the head at that point. And so, the, you know, the band kind of split up for a while. And then all of a sudden the club scene opened up for young bands. Bill Graham started uh, Metal Mondays at the old Waldorf. And, you know, Exodus was still a band at the time. They were a band that... Uh, just, you know, came from the area that we came from too. We went to high school with those guys, sure. And they were they jumped on that whole thing because they were ready to go. And I remember going to see them play at one of the first Metal Mondays, and um, Anvil Chorus was the headliner, and they were more progressive. And uh, I just the next day I called Mark. I was like, dude, we got to put the band back together. So, so we, so we did, but, but we got different musicians. We had Ben Havero on keyboards and uh, Evan McCaskey on guitar and, and it just evolved into different things over the years. And we, you know, we did pretty well in the club scene, Um, but it just got, it just kind of got uncomfortable again for me. And so I left the group and then was looking for new horizons and found my, found my way to the heathen camp. 
And yeah, uh, that's where that whole, good, whole thing began. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, it's been a good partnership for you. You know, I mean, you've done you've done a lot, uh, Dave, and, and you've done a lot with some with some bloody awesome bands. You played with some fantastic musicians, as I say. So, have you thought about writing a book or getting someone to go through your biography? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, cool. Again, and I've had people talk, you know, ask me that, but, um, and I'm sort of formulating it, you know, in my mind, um, because yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things, um, and so maybe someday I'll do it. I, I, I'd like to get somebody to maybe help me out with that, and I have to find the right person. Um, yeah. But just trying to hold on to trying to hold on to the memories as much as I can, um, you know what I mean? Because sometimes you know there's certain things that you know somebody will tell me a story about something. I remember the time, blah, 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 and, and I'll be like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, I think, I see, I'm, I'm a writer, you see, I'm a journalist as well, and uh, I think I counted, there's only five or six books from heavy metal and extreme metal luminaries out there, which is just incredible given the volume of bands. You know, I can think of Max Cavalera, Rex Brown, Dave Mustaine, um, uh, David Vincent from Morbid Angel near you there and oh he's in Texas these days I suppose but they're a bug rule out there and it is such fertile ground with so many great stories because your road warriors you typically you know to a point earlier in the conversation you have to get out there and perform for for your fans there's no doubt about it so you come back with all of these wonderful stories yet nobody's documenting them whether it's uh, I'll bring Kurt up again from Metal Church I was talking to him about it you know and, and yourself you got all of these great stories yet not yet they aren't being documented and uh and, and don't get me wrong but i'm in my 40s and none of us are getting younger um and some mm -hmm. of these stories might go by the wayside to your point again there so I, I really hope you get that book out mate because i'd love to read it yeah well i just got to get on it and maybe maybe now is the time to start you know while we're while we're uh still you know in this uh shelter in place kind of thing yeah, I'm writing a book myself right now. Uh, it's actually about this sort of stuff. I'm writing a book about the podcast because I think uh, if I don't document, you know, some of the precious moments that I've had, you know, talking to almost 600 musicians, I'll probably go by the wayside. And, uh, you know, all of the people like yourself that have contributed so much and given, <clears throat> excuse me, so much to, to music fans over the years, you know, and I'm just such a, uh, a heavy metal appreciator and evangelist in that regard because it's uh, it's so important that musicians like you keep on doing what you do, in my view. Well, that's cool. I mean, you know, Zetro from, from Exodus, he, mm -hmm. does a, uh, he does a podcast it's uh, tales, you know, tales from the, from the vault. Yes, yeah. And um, and I I I did it like a, a talk with him and and you know he's he's basically it's kind of what he's doing he's sort of documenting by getting everybody to tell some stories but um, you know what I mean and he's getting quite a catalog he's getting some stories but I mean from where I where I stand I mean I'm coming out of uh, junior high school high school and a lot of people that I just happened to go to school with, you know, and, you know, our, like Kirk Hammond, I went to school with him and, you know, we all know that, you know, Metallica's in Metallica, but, you know, I, <laughs> I, I and he was a friend, he was a friend of mine. I watched the whole thing transpire yes. and it's pretty crazy to, it's pretty crazy to have witnessed that, you know, I, I, I totally appreciate that, that I had that opportunity, but it wasn't just Kirk, you know, it's less as well. And, and watching all the different guys that I played with and, and mm. where I've come, you know, from there and what I'm still, you know, I still have the opportunity to do things and, you know, 
who would have, you know, thought that I'd do another record at this point, you know, in 2000 or, you know, 2020. So, yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot to to pull from. I just got to, you know, put into words and and get get busy. Hey, back in those days, nobody could have dreamt, I suppose, you know, you're all in the Bay Area there going to school together and forming bands and the like, but... Was there ever even any converse, you know, drunken conversation? You know, you have a joint and you might have a few bevies, beers or what have you, you know, and you go, man, we're all going to take over the world. And then you all did. You know what I'm saying? Was there ever any that sort of vibe? <laughs> no, I don't know about that. I just think that we always, I think we all were like just, you know, trying to make the best music with that we could. And, and there was definitely, you know the bands that uh, when we were all coming out of high school, there was a few bands in our in our just sort of local area, and we were, you know, supportive of each other, but we were also very competitive with with each other. Yeah. And then once the club scene happened, uh, you know, and it opened up in the Bay Area, um, San Francisco, and in the East Bay, and even San Jose, um, bands were coming out of the woodwork, and it was weird, you know, because you think sometimes you think, oh, we're the only, you know. We're the only ones on this island, but it's like, oh no, not actually yeah. not. <laughs> and um, and then you you know, but it was amazing because then you're uh, all of a sudden your your friend list is is expanding because you're meeting these musicians from all over the place, and not just the musicians, but uh, the fans of of the bands that come and and the people that work for the bands and and the girlfriends and the wives and whatever, um, you know it it's been quite the adventure and, you know, many of us are still, you know, close friends and, you know, we tend to get together, you know, from time to time at shows. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes it's at funerals, <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, but still there's, there's just a common bond that we all have because, you know, we just were lucky enough to be a part of something that is history now, you know? I agree. Yeah, yeah, and look, I, I mean, I can. I don't think um, I'm not built this way in terms of wanting to be in the spotlight. But there's no way I would have wanted to have been a Metallica myself back in those days. And and just seeing the issues that have come up in in and around the band, I think Kirk just seems to have the right personality to mesh in between Lars and and uh, James, doesn't he? Because I imagine, like poor old Jason experienced, it, it'd be bloody very very difficult to say the least to uh, find a place between those two fellows. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because I, you know, I knew Jason and, and um, didn't see that, didn't see that kind of stuff, you know, but of course you're not on the road with them. Mm. Um, I later heard the stories and it's like, wow, you know, it's unbelievable. Um, but, you know, losing Cliff was a big, that was a big deal. And, uh, you know, they didn't deal with it very well. At least, you know, I know James didn't deal with it very well. Um, but you know, and like you said, with, with Kirk and his temperament, uh, you know, I think that's why it just inevitably happened for Kirk to be in that group. Because if, if you had, if you had Dave Mustaine, you would have had two, (laughs) two, you know what I mean? The two egos in the, well, three egos really, because with, you know, Lars, Lars, James and Dave, um, it was volatile and it was, it was amazing it was amazing on stage, but um, I remember the first time I saw them when they first came up, and and yeah. Yeah. it was like they had two frontmen, you know, with Dave and with James, and I that was the only thing I thought, wow, you know, these guys are really good 
but they got to figure that out, you know, because you, you know that's that dynamics kind of kind of strange and and it was a little awkward, and eventually, eventually they did work it out. <laughs> they figured it out. They know? did. Yeah, yeah. It's funny they how did. fans. And, you know, Sorry, you go, Mike. You're. Oh, I was just going to say that you know, and you know, I know it was probably rough for Dave to to you know to watch them t- you know take off like that, but. Dave did all right, and he wrote some great stuff and had some great records. So, and I don't, you know, it would have it would have been probably wouldn't have gotten all that music out of the two bands had that not split up. You know, agreed. Yeah, I can never understand why the fans argue over the point on stupid Facebook posts and Twitter and Instagram and all the rest of it. I mean, I'm thank God he did leave Metallica because I love Megadeth. And uh, they've been, they were probably one of the first bands I ever got into in the late 80s as a, as a kid, you know. And uh, Dave just seemed so dangerous back then, you know. He, he just seemed like as though he was uh, unhinged and stuff, but that was really the allure. And of course, then he had these, these great tracks off uh, the first, or actually, a lot of their stuff is actually quality, except for some of the radio stuff he's tried to do, like Risk. But um, I think what I notice, especially, is a lot of musicians are drawn to Megadeth over Metallica, and I guess I count myself in that camp just because of the, the technicality of the music. But uh, they can't argue with Metallica's first three and four albums, I don't think. I mean, they really are the, the blueprint, and I've, I've written this many times. They are the most continuously influential heavy metal albums of all time between uh, Kill 'Em All and um, up to Master of Puppets, I think. Yeah, well, for me, I, I'm, I'm good all the way up to the Black Album. You know, um, mm. I, I think that album is sensational, and it's, you know, they really you know, were able to really capture the sound that was the partly that was missing in the prior records. I, I felt like they did Cliff a real, in, you know, injustice and, and Jason as well on Injustice for All, but, you know, by turning the bass down to get that crunch. And, mm-hmm. you know, Cl- Cliff is gone now. And, you know, those, you can barely hear the bass on those records. And, you know, the guy was amazing. You know, yeah, it's very but, strange. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. I mean, there's the famous story that's out there now with the engineer whose name I can't remember has recounted. There's no reason to doubt his story that Lars came in and turned the bass basically till it was audibly. I mean, it's audibly not there. I mean, it's just it's somewhere in the mix. I know, but it just bleeds into the low end of the E string of the. I think they played an E flat on that album, didn't they? Um, it just blends in with that, and uh, I, I can't understand why they why frankly they'd ruin an album because i thought it was great as a kid but i haven't been able to listen to it in 25 years well it's it was the crunch of the guitars and you know i i i'm in a band with a guitar player that that thinks that injustice for all is is the 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 greatest produced record unit because he loves the crunch of the guitar and he could Mm. care less about the bass and i'm always the one pushing for more bass because i feel like you got to have that bottom, and I think I that, uh, that, yeah, yeah, and the kids. I think you know the fans. Uh, when you when you have a you know, there's a lot of bands out there that the heavy bass and their metal, not not really the thrash bands, but like bands like, uh, oh, what's that? What's the band? Oh my god, it's so terrible! I can't remember the name of the band at the moment. But it was more like, <laughs> like you know, and in, in more in the like the new metal vein. Oh yeah, um, corn or something oh, like that. Corn, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Corn, yep. um, you know, still had heavy guitars. Of course, they were tuned down, but that bass is rocking. And when they play, man, you know, 
people are dancing to that music and, and just getting into that groove of it. And I, I particularly like that kind of thing because I feel like that when the bass is loud like that, you feel it like through your whole body, you know? And then, and, and that's where with Metallica on the black album, they were able to make the bass nice and fat by, you know, separating the, the frequencies and mm. still had an amazing crunchy album and, and great songs off the record as well. Mm. Yeah. I've written uh, articles in the past for publications. And uh, one of the points that I've made is that uh, at some point in time, if James had switched allegiances away from Lars and focused on Jason, I think we would have had a, a from a musical perspective, no idea what happens in the behind the scenes between families and the business side of things. But I think from a musical perspective, I think we would have had a tremendous band better than what we've, what we've had actually, to be honest with you with the, stuff that they've released through Load and Sandanga and pretty much everything post-Black Album, I hate to say it. Um, but, you know, Jason's just so creative and he's a great bass guitarist and he can definitely sing as well. Uh, he's been out here with his own band, Newstead, on the Soundwave Festival. Uh, he can definitely sing as well, but, yeah, it would, it would be interesting uh, if there was a parallel dimension somewhere and we could sort of step into that for a moment or two and just sort of investigate what that would sound like because I think... Uh, you know, he certainly gets the checks from the uh, royalty checks from playing on the Black Album, but um, I reckon he'd swap it all uh, if he could play with James um, and play the music that was in him, you know, collaborate with James in that way. Yeah. Well, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, Absolutely I think nothing. I think that, <laughs> you know, he's, you know, with the pressure, I think that he's probably, I think he's probably quite happy, you know, he's okay because of the, the records that he did do and um you know and he can still go out and play and and mm. i thought it was cool when he he got together with the guys from voivod you know to to help them and get them a you know boost boost for a little while there um you know uh, being a fan of voivod it's you know it was kind of like whoa that's cool that was interesting you wasn't know? it that collaboration yeah it was very left yeah. field but um yeah, yeah, he did the Aussie thing as well, but uh, but mate, look, I'll, I'll I'll bring this around again, and uh, I'll make make this my last question for you. But you you've probably been to Australia before, but are we a good territory for you musically? Um, well, first of all, I've never been to Australia. Wow. Okay. Um, and so, go. I I know that that Craig and Lee have both been there with, with Exodus, um, but uh, I've yet to step foot on on that territory, and I can't wait. I I. You know, I think it'd just be great, and I know there's a lot of metal fans there. Can't wait to to go and and see how it is there. Oh, it'd be killer to see you guys out here once everything bloody settles down a little bit, and we can go back to something resembling normalcy, mate. I can't wait to see you guys. Yeah, Excuse well, me. yeah, you know, oh, that's okay. Bless you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I hope you know. I hope that like like I was talking to somebody, uh, another. Uh, magazine or whatever doing an interview last week uh, and the, he was from australia and asked me a similar question and you know it's if i if we were ever going to get there and i was like well you know it just matters of like if we get the support of the of the fans over there you know it's really important that um we sell records you know because that's that's what's mm. going to make it count and you got to have that demand because definitely the, the festivals like summer breeze will want us to come out yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a long way to travel over here, isn't it, too? you definitely got to have, uh, you know, a bit of a guarantee from a promoter. Uh, I, think a lot of, I think a lot of them are suffering at the moment, too, as you can probably appreciate. You know, um, 
Oh, it's, yeah. uh, you know, all of the advances that they gave to bands prior to this bloody thing taking hold, COVID-19 taking hold. I think, uh, you know, I mean, what do you do? You know, you've got to you've got to spend money on promoting things and putting it in social media and then boosting posts that way and then putting up um, little bill posters around the entertainment districts of town here in the Valley in Brisbane. Um, and I know a lot of them have lost quite a bit of money doing that. I just hope that uh, they can get back up and running again and make you guys a substantial officer so you guys can come down in the future. Yeah I, yeah, I hope so. I mean, we actually dodged a bullet with our European tour for this record. We we were just about to pay, like, all the deposits for the bus and, and all the different things that we had to do to prepare to, leave, you know, to go to lock things in. Mm-hmm. And it was happening, and we were kind of holding off, holding off, holding off. And then we had to, you know, of course, we had to pull the plug. And, um, and then everything went to hell. So. Yeah, 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 well... Well, mate, good look. Good luck with everything. Um, congratulations on like just having a career playing music. I mean, I don't think people appreciate how difficult it is to stick it out and actually do it. And uh, you know, you've got you've got four killer albums here with Heathen, starting way back in uh, 1987. But to your point there earlier, also too, you know, you did some tremendous work there with Blind Illusion. Um, so you, you've really contributed to, to heavy metal over the years, mate. And uh, so thank you for doing that. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me and. Um, we appreciate it. No worries, mate. All right, well, uh, thanks very much, and hopefully uh, see you down here soon. <laughs> All right, well, thank you. Thank no you so mate. much. Pleasure, mate. All right, no take worries. care of yourself. You too. Right. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. That's it, folks. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that was David White from the US Outfit Heathen. Thanks so much for listening.